Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guy, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guy Deputy Editor James, and with me is Editor Mel. And for the first time, a person many of you will be familiar with, the one and only Dave Morley. One and only? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My mum will be pleased. Uh, This week, we're looking at new cars making their mark and proving there's still room to grow in the hyper-competitive Aussie market. We'll cover off three recent entrants to the Cars Guide garage, and we'll check in on an even richer tech billionaire who likes playing with fire in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. But first of all, we're going to look at a story that created quite a lot of buzz in our news section through the week, authored by our own Stephen Otley. And it was looking at new cars that have made their mark in the Australian new car market, despite the fact that we've all been thinking how much more competitive, how many more you know, models can start diving in. He's identified several that have done just that uh, and create, carved out a pretty strong niche for themselves. And we should talk about that. We've had a lot of arrivals this year, obviously, from Hiluxes to Defenders to you name it. But there seem to be this set that has really got people's interest. And the first one is the Kia Seltos. Mel, I know we've had a lot of um, toing and froing around recommending Seltos for particular customers. What, what's Most your take it's on toing. Yeah. What's your take on, on this car so far in the Aussie market? Uh, if we go, are we going model by model or the whole story? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, Seltos was clearly a, a gaping hole in the Kia lineup. They had the Sportage as their smallest for a long time, and pretty much everyone else, including Toyota, had managed to launch a you know, small SUV beforehand. Uh, so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a big uh, answer to an even bigger question. Um, but the thing is, the, and this applies to all these models in this list, that it's, it's quite an achievement to achieve sales success early on with new nameplates these days. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it requires significant marketing input. Uh, and we can see from our own traffic that, you know, if, if a new model's launched, you know, consumer interest starts off very slow and only sort of builds as time goes on. Whereas, you know, they launch a new RAV4, there's all the people already looking at the old RAV4 that sort of discover the new one and it just sort of continues over. So, uh, I don't know. Does that answer your question, James? I think it's a good it car. Does. It's I've, a very good car. In terms of the name, I've always thought it sounded like an antacid tablet. You know, that um, <laughs> if you're suffering from an upset stomach, just take a Kia Seltos. Well, they're about to launch it'll... the Stonic beneath it, and that sounds a little bit more like it. That, sounds more like, that sounds more like an ointment. Stonic. I think that's some kind of cream or an ointment, actually. But uh, I think it'll be an ointment for their uh, even smaller SUV uh, lineup. Anyway. Dave, have you had an opportunity to, to steer a Seltos at this point? No, I haven't. Um, but I'm, I'm reminded of um, my uncle who used to sit on a special medical board, but now he just uses the ointment when you talk about the stomach. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, it's, it's going to be a good car. There's no, no two ways about that. Um, those guys don't make yeah. cars um, yeah. anymore, certainly not in the last you know, couple of decades. It's amazing how many of those South Korean brands I now recommend to people or, or models that I now recommend to people because you just can't go past the warranty. You know, yeah. for people who for people who are attracted to that sort of car, and my neighbour's a classic example, right. uh, they've now got um, two Kias in the driveway because there's they're a no-brain-damage car. You know, they're yeah. not into their cars, but they yeah. need transport. The thing had everything they needed as a, as a mode of transport and it had a seven-year warranty, you know. And yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how do you go past that, you know? 
Yeah, I think I think also the level of safety um, in this car is is pretty impressive in in its part of the market, um, and its size. Yeah, Mel, you're right. It was a gaping hole for some time, but it really uh, mm. plugged that very effectively. Um, I like the way it, uh, it's another sort of player in this smaller end, but still is shaped like an SUV and delivers the practicality benefits that a lot of yes. people find appealing in an SUV. It's yeah, it's not another like the Kona is you know Hyundai's small SUV. Or, Actually, next to the venue, it's it's their not so quite small SUV. But yeah, the yeah, Kona yeah. Uh, is not bad for for passenger space, but the boot space is kind of yep. abbreviated by that that tight rear end. And the yep. Seltos yep. just goes, "Now nah, let's just make an SUV with a big boot." And it started to give the ASX a bit of a you know a hard time, which is yeah. overdue. You know, the ASX has had such an open playing field for so long. They struck it lucky with the shape, didn't they? We've yeah, said yeah. it many times, but by God, they struck yeah. it lucky a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> the size and shape of that car. I think we've identified that some of the, like the base grades, there's a lot of the hard kind of plastic in the in the thing, but that goes with the territory. You're in that part yeah. of the market. But look, another one that, uh, it, for what it's and worth... I think the cheapest version is still lacking some safety stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good call, these two. So, Sorry to interrupt. That's all right. Another one that... Um, for what it's worth, surprised me is the CX30 uh, Mazda because I thought Mazda had really kind of got its different models meshing together quite nicely. And um, then cars like the CX8 um, and the CX30 arrived to create even more choice in there. But lo and behold, the CX30 has proved to be extremely popular. Yeah, and I think that uh, they're wise to fill these gaps and sort of create a like a complete spectrum of options because. We know that most buyers are still in that stage of going, my next car is going to be an SUV. No one thinks my next car is going to be a midsize SUV or a large SUV. They just right want on. an SUV. And then when they start looking, they work out what size is right for them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the CX-3 uh, was so much smaller than the CX-5. So a CX-30 makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and I, they might I, think Mazda SUV. Anyway, Please identify that um, it's sitting just behind the Kia. Um, 7,000 sales, 9.2% uh, market share. So that's a pretty pretty good effort. And I suppose while we've watched Mazda 3 soften off, you know, a, a long-term favourite, it's cars like the CX-30 that have started to join the CX-5 and this migration over to, to yet more SUVs. All right. Now, the, another one. Here we are. We're in Korea yet again. Hyundai Venue. Um, you know, while the Kona is the second best-selling small SUV, um, it's taken a while for people to warm up to, to the venue, um, but it's, it's still found more than 3,000 buyers um, who like that affordability factor. It's given Hyundai something to play with at that more budget-focused end of the SUV market. Mm. Yeah, the, Look, and, I, Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think that the price is is the is the key with that thing. There's so many people who want an SUV but can't afford a bigger one. Uh, mm. That that thing, it seems to to me on paper to offer what it needs to. It's going to fill the bill. It's going to yeah. do what it says on the box, and you can sort of presume that with that brand. Yeah. Uh, and yet, it's it's very accessible uh, from from a price point of view. So that's obviously going to make. A lot of difference to a lot of people who possibly wouldn't even be looking for a new car other than the fact that the neighbours have got an SUV, we better get an SUV. Yeah, exactly. And look, just purely on a subjective level, I find it an attractive design. It's appealing. I think it would have a lot of showroom appeal. When you walk in, you think that's a snazzy looking little, you know, 
city-sized yet could cope with a small family uh, type SUV. I think I think it's got that going for it too. And when it launched, you know, the fact that it replaced the Accent as the entry model in the Hyundai range, you know, I think a lot of us went, oh, hang on, is that the right idea? But subsequent to that, all the traditional, I think all the traditional uh, you know, light hatchbacks like the Swift and the Yaris and the Mazda 2 have become yep. much more expensive. And I yep. think you can get a, a Kona to cheaper than you can a you know, pretty much any of those hatches these days. So given it represents the size and shape of vehicle that people aspire to, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Very good. Now, yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting point. Uh, what you're talking about with where, where, where the, the little SUV is replacing the, the conventional hatch, you know, like the only Fiesta you can buy now, and we're going to talk about this later, is the, is the ST. Um, there's no other Fiestas. You, you then need to go to a to a, a little a Ford SUV if that's what you want. You're in the if you want a little hatchback, you're in the wrong showroom. Uh, the Yaris for volumes are falling on that. However, the Yaris Cross promises to be you know quite a quite a good seller uh, certainly on, on current projections. So you know that that whole uh, uh, embracing of the SUV thing just is not stopping. It's just such a such a juggernaut, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. True. Ford will give you a, a Puma instead of a regular Fiesta. They'll give you one. That, that, is, that is quite a deal, Mel. That, if you... <laughs> they'll give you one. I suppose whenever you, darken a, <laughs> whenever you darken a showroom door, they're all kind of shaking in their boots anyway and just hand a car over. Thank you for addressing that uh, misstep there, James. <laughs> I'm not yes. going to argue with you. <laughs> but um, what I was going to say, we've got a couple more to, to, to cover. Um, Stephen Otley also called out the Volkswagen T-Cross. So all of a sudden it's T-Rock, T-Cross. There's a lot of T's uh, swinging um, around Volkswagen. And when you think about its more traditional lineup like Polo and Golf and Passat, here once again come these SUVs to satisfy that demand. And Volkswagen has been a little short in that department as well. And they've come back uh, roaring with a vengeance, yeah? Mm. Similarly with Skoda, uh, although they're not covered in the story, the, with the Karok with still finding its feet and now the Kamek, yeah. which seems to be a really good option in this uh, lower end of the SUV class. Yes, yeah. Look, the other thing I was going to say too, you mentioned the um, Yaris and then Yaris Cross. I, not for the first time, quite obviously, felt a bit stupid in kind of scratching my head about the price of the Yaris when it landed because it had, it had jumped up so much in terms of its entry pricing. But then, yeah, of course, as soon as the Yaris Cross arrived, it starts to make a little more sense in terms of a, a whole-of-market approach. But um, the, the, the T-Cross, uh, I think, again, I'm, shows how superficial I am, but I think it's a good-looking car, uh, again, in, in this part of the market. And it takes on, you know, things like the CX-3 and uh, so far... It's got, uh, what's Dave reckoned, almost 2,000 sales. Uh, it only hit showrooms in May. So it's got 8.9% market share, which um, bodes pretty well for its chances next year. And, and Volkswagen's, think, sorry, you go. I was just going to say, I, th I, think you're, I think you're selling yourself a bit short, calling yourself, um, you know, uh, um, well, criticising the fact that you think it looks good as, as a reason for buying. I mean, that surely that's a major reason for buying it. I, I don't think, I don't see that as, um, you know, being shallow at all. And I should know, I'm deeply shallow. <laughs> I, think, I think that, you know, that is such an important thing. And those, and those, those Volks, that current generation of Volkswagen does really look sharp. Yeah, it does. It does. Now, well packaged. we're going to step up for our final uh, vehicle to uh, discuss in this uh, little segment. 
to a giant scale. This is uh, immense, this car. And I do recall uh, driving it when it had been first launched and thinking, oh, how on earth can you justify this much metal and rubber and glass and then driving it for a week and thinking, oh, but it's so nice to drive. <laughs> like it, it really is a very pleasant thing uh, to get around in, but it's enormous. And that's the BMW X7. Uh, so it's the upper large SUV. Um, you've got pricing beginning at about 130K and it's comparing with things like a, a GLS Merc, um, probably a Range Rover, the LX Lexus, Audi Q8, all of those big Bertha, um, typically Euro or Japanese in the Lexus's case, um, SUVs. But it is one of those things where you look at it dispassionately and go, that's obscene, you know. How, how can you, how can you, and then you drive and go, God, it is really nice to get around in. And they've clearly put a lot of effort into it with the, the third row accommodation. And it, 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 it's quite a luxurious experience, even on massive wheels, which often is not the case. Um, yeah, it was also the start of the humongous grill uh, trend. Yeah. It was the one that really started to get serious in terms of making a huge grill um, in the nose of a BMW. Okay, a couple of things. That grill is ridiculous. I'm sorry. No engine needs that much air. And if it does, yeah. it, should, it should be a jet. Um, and it's probably shuttered most of the time anyway. Yeah, yeah, it is. I haven't driven the X7, but look, I I could never, I could, I don't think I'd ever be able to get around the fact that I was feeling like I was delivering bodies to a more. <laughs> yes. You think there should be some curtains across the, the rear windows. It's criminally ugly. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's look. That's my personal view, but I couldn't buy it purely on that. And I guess I guess I'm coming back to that that previous point. I just couldn't do it because it, it doesn't look like something I want to be associated with. <laughs> but I suppose each of those cars just do go to that point that says just when you think um, the house is full, there's room for five or six more. Uh, you know that, that we're continually yeah, divvying cool. up this market into ever yeah. smaller niches, and these are good examples of that. Well. Uh, that's true. And I was just about to say, you know, here we are talking about the, the nicheification of the car market yet again, and, and, and more so this time. Uh, it's an ongoing thing. We've been talking about this for, for years now, uh, and it hasn't stopped. But it, on, on one level, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you guys uh, have been into uh, an optometrist. Now, two walls of the entire shop will be covered in, in different glasses. They all do fundamentally the same thing, depending on what lens you put in them. But, you know, look at the choice. Have you been into a, a fishing shop lately? Uh, no. Of, of lures, brightly coloured plastic right. lures. Some of them will have one pink dot to differentiate it from the one next Another to Another one. Hundreds of them. There is no limit to what to the choices people will will accept, you know? Yes, yes. I suppose this, what I... this story is all about cars that are actually achieving sales success, though, so it's proving us all wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think one thing to consider is when you're talking about a car, it's a large, elaborate, you know, heavily engineered object. And for a, a car manufacturer to make the decision to put a new model into market with everything that goes with it, um, it pre and post sale in terms of the parts, the service training, the, the, all of that, it's a big investment and you've got to be sure that it's, it's going to pay off as a strategy, you know? All right. Now, we will leave it there. And what we would um, love people to do is give us your thoughts on each of those cars that Steve Otley's called out. 
Let us know if you think they're worthy and whether you've been considering them, whether you may have bought one. Um, that'd be interesting. But uh, we'll move on to cars that we have, in fact, been driving in the recent past. And Dave, I would like to start with you, if that's okay. And you've nominated, you know, a favourite amongst us. Uh, please fill us in on what you have been steering lately. Well, because of COVID, and I'm in Victoria, we haven't been able to get out a whole lot. And a lot of the car dealerships have been closed and the people that prepare test cars haven't been operating. So I haven't driven a lot of cars in the last few months. But I did manage to snare a week in a Fiesta ST. And... Um, Wow, yeah. what a what a great little car! I mean, it's 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 the antithesis of what we've just been talking about, where things are getting <laughs> jacked up and plastic wheel arch flares, and you know, ten grand on the price. This thing uh, is all about going quickly in a small package, but it's just such an entertaining car too. It's such a charming, charming little car. I mean, I've always said that um, when something is more than the sum of its parts, uh, that's my definition of art, right yep. there. Yep. Um, I'm not sure that the artists would agree with me, but they can. <laughs> Get a real job. Um, I, I really love that little car. I, I, and I, I particularly like it because they've stayed true to the to the ethos of the original one, yeah. which, which remains one of my all-time favourite cars of the last 10 years. I don't know about you, Dave, but I, I operate on a threshold and I think the Fiesta ST is the tipping point in terms of if you want a sporty, rewarding, involving drive, you don't have to really go further than a Fiesta ST. You know, any, anything more you're spending in That's terms true. of money or many, any more horsepower that you're putting through the wheels down to the road, in the, particularly the urban environment we live in, the Fiesta ST is a car you can have fun in from one set of traffic lights to the next. You know, it's just a really nice, fun car to drive. And now uh, it's a five-door hatch, so you yeah. can Exactly, exactly. So emotion, yeah. take, emotion yeah. takes over even more once you get beyond the Fiesta ST, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think my metric for this um, comes down to could could a good driver in a Fiesta ST beat a bad driver in a Lamborghini Aventador? Yes. Okay. Good idea. And they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that I think, you know, once you, once you get to that level of performance, do you need much more? The other thing, of course, in Australia, because we've been um, brainwashed by the Americans for so long about what is and what isn't a performance car. I mean, let's not forget the Americans believe a Corvette is a sports car. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've missed the Shout boat. Out to all our American viewers and listeners. We've missed the boat for so long on hot hatches. Yeah. Uh, Europe's known about it, um, but it's been a bit of a bit of a well, a tightly held secret here. But now people are getting the hang of it. The cars are becoming much more accessible financially. Yeah. Uh, they're coming, so, they're coming and that's a greater a number. Because we were just checking it. I mean, we're at uh, low 30K, uh, like $32,000 yeah. for an yeah, yeah, exactly. So that car for that money, that, that amount of performance for that money, you, you just can't buy more fun for 30 grand, I don't think. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, we all, we're all accustomed to the second iteration of a, of a, a magical car being ruined. Mm. And they've done anything but with this one. The, yeah. difficult, the difficult second album. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. right. Yeah, well, you're right. This one is a good, a very good follow-up. However, I just, I don't know. There's something about the, it's a slightly more pure experience. It's splitting hairs, but um, I, I probably uh, was a little more enamoured of its predecessor than this one, but it's a very close-run thing. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. I think, I mean, intellectually, I know that the three-cylinder has its merits, um, and, and it does. I mean, I, you know, I've... As a motorcycle rider, I, I really understand three-cylinder engines and I love them. However, I think for a little hatch, 
the, the just the four cylinders just seems to sit a bit better for me. Um, it was a it was a three door, not a five door. A car that size, I'm not going to put people in the back. You know, no, the only thing no. I'm going to the only thing I'm going to put in the back seat of one of those is my helmet and, and race boots. You know, on my way to the track. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the I think the I like the Recaros in the in the first one a little bit better. I and just, the shift, the manual shift was just so sweet. Yeah, exactly. So I just sweet. felt like I was a little bit more in touch with it. You know. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. I, I the only it. thing is you need to do something with the wheels and the paint to make it look something other than Barbie's first hot hatch. You know, I mean, they did look a little bit, yeah. You know, for a, for a bloke who looks like me, um, yeah. 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 Ken, but, you know, Ken. I mean, that's, that's, your, that's your nickname around the place. <laughs> um, Better not. Well, that's good. But that, I, mean, I, I reckon I will go and buy a, a, a Series 1 Fiesta ST in, in a few years' time. I will, I will own yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Um, now, thank you very much for that, Dave. And Mal, we will move on to your good self. Yes. Uh, you have been in a tough vehicle. Uh, that's what uh, Land Rover would have us believe. Tell us about your thoughts on the Defender. Yeah, so I, I think it launched several months ago, but I've only finally just had a chance to experience it for myself. Uh, we had Crafty at the launch, when was it? Ages ago. Anyway, uh, yep. Nadal's actually conducted a test of the Defender, and I uh, I sort of borrowed it for a little bit when she was finished with it, and uh, so we had the the P four hundred SE, which is the petrol straight six model with the top drivetrain, but mm. uh, SE being the middle uh, middle trim level, uh, and even still, it's one hundred and two thousand dollars dollars options right yep. and on road costs, so not very cheap. Um, so this is the one ten as well, so the long wheelbase, not the ninety yep. short wheelbase that's coming. Yep. Uh, I think the car has a good sense of theatre about it, both inside and out. Um, they put a lot of work in the design, um, even though it's, it's, you know, it's really just a discovery under the skin. But I think it's, it feels more Land Rover than Discovery. I think Discovery sort of is more, it's sort of evolved into more of a Range Rover. Oh, yes. Product. Was I calling it Discovery? I meant to say Defender. Did I, did I get that? No, right? it is Defender, but under the Very skin, good. it's a Discovery. No, and I mean, is it too luxurious? Oh, is, it, is, it, is it too kind of city-fied? And, and I mean, it's a bit of a chalk and cheese transition, isn't it? Because the yeah. last one was, was not rudimentary, but it was pretty yeah. straightforward. This one's a lot more luxo. Yeah, but imagine if they launched anything closer to what the original was in terms of, uh, you know, being rudimentary. Yeah. Uh, like they, they crucify. I mean, look at the Wrangler. The Wrangler is so true to what a Wrangler is. Right. It's like they've, they've really just from the word go made the best Wrangler they can. But in deciding to give it a folding windscreen and removable doors, it can never compete with other cars on a safety front uh, right. and with the yeah. solid front axle, which is just yeah. so romantic. Yeah. It will never compete with a decent uh, independent front axle in terms of just general dynamics and livability, even though it's really good for what it is. It's a great point you make about safety because that really was a large part of the death knell of, of the prior Defender um, was safety. Yeah. Trying to make that thing comply um, with yeah. current regulations it was a bridge to that, that and the fact that it was... Sorry, that and the fact that it was fundamentally a handmade car and the, yeah. the, the labour input costs were just horrendous yeah, um, they could yeah. never they could never modify it to for you know proper series production because it was this this old dunger that they'd been building in a back shed with two blokes <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, but and I it's amazing yeah. how much they had modernised it, but like, yeah, they but. couldn't do it to the same level as a as a seventy series Land right. Cruiser. Now you've got to go off and buy your Ineos, isn't it? Isn't that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or or the bowler, or the bowler. We'll talk about hand built. I mean, mm. they certainly are. Uh, anyway, so the car I don't think is perfect. Yep. Uh, I think the interior design is really impressive and really yep. specific to the Defender. Uh, but annoyingly, have you driven it, Dave? Yeah. No, I haven't, mate. No. Okay, sorry. Not that you have, either, James. I have not. Anyway, well, for your benefit, uh, uh-huh. the the move the drive mode buttons up onto the dash next to the selector, which thankfully is a proper selector, not a not a rotary dial. But they're all. Uh, backlit only they're not actually labeled so in direct sunlight they just look like a sea of blank buttons you can't tell what you're pushing um which is fine normally but in direct sunlight it's yeah a bit of a compromise uh what else it feels a bit bizarre that it's a petrol engine under such a big suv these days but you know with diesel uh being a bit on the nose uh and ultimately uh not quite as clean as as petrol uh, yeah. It makes sense. And look, you know, the Ingenium Straight 6 manages a 9.9 litre uh, official combined fuel figure, which is not All right. bad for a 9.9, yep. boxy vehicle. Uh, yep. I didn't get the chance to run my own numbers and I look forward to, but, you know, it's, it's a smooth engine and it's got plenty of poke. Uh, but yep. I think the engine calibration is quite heavily uh, calibrated towards delivering that uh, on paper efficiency. It's quite doughy off uh, from idle. Uh, even in S mode, uh, and that sort of adds to the the, the sense of bulkiness to the car. It yep. is a big car, but it sort of feels a bit lumbering. Um, I hope that's fixed when in the off road mode, but I didn't get the check to didn't get the chance to take it off road. But if you're poodling around in a city, it's sort yep. of it's a bit bit lumbering, even though yep. it's the petrol. Yep. Um, the the other thing that uh, some people might might be surprised by is the the rear storage. Uh, area is quite small, and I think that's largely because of the, the short rear overhang, which is great for clearance and great for making it look like a defender. But it's a big vehicle that uh, the, the cargo space isn't much more than what you'd expect in, say, like a RAV4. Um, and look, you know, it's still plenty of room, but it will be limiting if you are looking to take it on extended uh, touring trips through the outback, etc. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think overall it's what it needs to be as a 2020 Defender. And, yep. uh, you know, I think they'll sell more cars as a result. Yeah, I think it looks ultra cool. I really love what they've done uh, with the design. Was it that concept was called DC100 or something, um, you know, best part of 10 years ago? And that's where it was heading. And it hasn't gone a million miles away from that. I no, think it's it, I think it looks really it, slick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's well, funny. Uh, sorry, Dave, go ahead. No, sorry, mate. Um, uh, Mal, it's a shame you didn't drive it off-road. I'd love to know what it's like because, as you can see from my background photo, I tend to use off-road four-wheel drives as, you know, nature intended. Um, and one of the things, has it got has it got a uh, two-speed transfer case? So it's got low ratio gears? Yes, yep. Uh, and I don't mean to, short, okay. uh, to shortchange you or the listeners, but uh, you'll find that... Yeah. Our very own Marcus Kraft has put it through the town on its paces yeah. big time through the Blue Mountains on its launch. So they, they certainly got okay, a good. there. Yeah. Because one of the things that worried me about the um, the uh, Disco was you could get it in two two variants, one which had a low-range transfer case and one which had a single-speed transfer case. 
and the presumption was that you could still take the, the, the lesser one off-road. And, and the way it got around not having low-ratio gears was by having a, a reasonably low first gear in, in, a, in a multi-speed gearbox. Um, yep. and then it, it, but then it, it slipped the torque converter to provide a little bit more latitude for the engine to build some boost. Now, I don't, I don't know how much you know about automatic gearboxes, but if you talk to a, a bloke who does, he'll tell you that the first thing you want to do is reduce heat. You can never overcool an automatic transmission. By slipping the torque converter, you instantly start to create heat. Now, that might be fine for climbing a mossy hill in Scotland uh, right. once a day, right. but yep. we're feeling that crossing, crossing June after June over the Simpson or up Googs Track in South Australia or something like that, you're going to get yep. that gearbox pretty damn hot. And I just wonder how fit for purpose some of that technology is. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, you know, I know all about automatics. Nobody knows more about automatics than me. Um, I know that uh, D means drive, for example. Um, yeah, if you want to, if you want to ask me anything about automatic transmissions, I'm, you know, I'm open. Uh, I thought it was D the better way. <laughs> hey, uh, Dave, it, it it strikes me that uh, with the disco, they've just sampled the spec uh, of that eight-speed auto that's fitted to the all-wheel drive Amarok. Um, you know how it sort of had the same, you know, over overcoming the mm, yeah, range that's right, yeah, really short first, uh, and yeah, anyway, but it, it just doesn't add up on paper, does it? Unless mm. it's got two radios. Well, maybe it does. I don't know. Mm. I, haven't, I, I haven't driven one over over enough sand dunes to destroy it yet, but I got a feeling mm. that uh, on a forty degree ambient day, towing a camper trailer, mm. um, things are going to yeah. get awful hot if you start using that facility. Uh, I, I always like to see a, you know, a two-speed transfer case because, you know, but I, I'm also of, of the uh, generation that thinks a, a real four-wheel drive has a minimum of two gear sticks. So, you know. Yeah, that's very good. Exactly. But Dave, as we can see in the background, you're clearly someone who uses these things properly in real uh, yeah. areas. Yeah. And there are plenty of people wanting to do the same. Yeah. Exactly. Particularly this year. Yeah, funny that. Well, I mean, that car in the background, that is actually my own car. And um, it's a non-turbo diesel, so it's it's mechanical than, injected. It's slower than a long weekend in Canberra, uh, but the only uh, electronics in that vehicle are in the stereo and the CB. Everything else is absolutely analog, mechanical. It's got a snorkel. It will run underwater. I know this. <laughs> uh, so for what I do, you know, I like I don't even want carpet, <laughs> let alone let alone fuel injection. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, <laughs> I, I get that you know you've. I'm I'm in the in the one percentile at the other end of things, but you know there is still a market for those cars. I think, and yeah. uh, we're moving increasingly away from them. I mean, to, to call to call something a defender um, that is as plush as the new defender to me, yeah, um, yeah. But I need to drive it, so you know, yeah, I'll, take, I'll take that on. Notice. Yeah, good call, good call. All right, um, I'll chip in with a car that um, it does have carpets. I must say. Um, it only has the one uh, gear shift. I was slumming it this week uh, in the Rolls Royce Ghost, um, so that's an all new that's an all new car. Um, and according to Rolls Royce, the only thing that carry over from the last Ghost is the Spirit of Ecstasy uh, emblem up on the nose and the umbrellas that slide into the doors. Everything else is uh, new. The car's wider. Um, it's all wheel drive. It's four wheel steer. Um, it's a six and a six and three quarter litre twin turbo V12, uh, eight speed auto. So 
way back in its history that that V12 would have some BMW uh, DNA in there, but uh, Rolls-Royce assures us it now has a Rolls-Royce part number. Um, 420 kilowatts, 850 newton metres at 1600 RPM. Uh, and this thing, uh, it will accelerate from zero to 100 in 4.8 seconds, uh, despite the fact that it's two and a half tonnes. Uh, it is quite, quite the car. And it, it was a, a really bizarre circumstance in that it was a press product launch. Here you are, experience the car for an afternoon. Goodbye, thank you. So four of us, four different uh, ghosts were driving on the old Pacific Highway in New South Wales. And when I was the fourth car, you could see the ones coming the other way and their look on their face was quite something to behold because seeing one Rolls-Royce ghost is a bit of a, an experience and seeing four in a row is just ridiculous. Um, the, the, the thing about it, it is unbelievable in terms of its ride comfort. It is everything that you would expect of that car. It's active suspension. They call it, it's like flight on land. And I've got to say, it is. Um, you are looking at the road in front of you and going, this is a dead ordinary road and it feels billiard table smooth. It is uncanny, really fantastic. Um, and it's on big 21s with huge Pirelli P0s on it at the same time. It's restrained, it's quiet. Um, it is proper luxury, like no mucking around, chrome over brass type luxury, you know. Mm. Um, Big thick carpet too, isn't it? That, it's, that all that stuff Boosie that you would carpet. expect. Um, it has a thing called effortless doors, so it's got electronic assistance for you opening and shutting the doors, which are clamshell kind of uh, doors. And it, it just is what you would expect. And it's a car they say you can be driven in or you might choose to drive yourself. It's kind of flip of a coin. But it is a big beast. You know, as I say, it's two and a half tonnes. It's got a 13-metre turning circle. It's 5.5 metres long. Um, the steering, but what they've done with the steering wheel, and we'll have some pictures up for people watching on YouTube, it really is an echo of, of wheels of Rolls-Royce past. It's beautiful the way they've done it. Um, but the steering itself is quite numb. You know, you, you're not, you are not connected with what's going on with this car. It's not that type of vehicle. Um, there, it's more the type of vehicle where there are 850 LEDs in the fascia giving you this sparkling star kind of effect, that kind of stuff. Stars and shooting stars um, in the roof. We were told that, that a couple of blokes were sent around the world to measure raindrops so that they could have the water running off the, uh, the side rail, rain channels effectively. All of that palaver. So it's $628,000 as a starting point to get your backside into one of these, whether it's in the front or the back. And then the sky's the limit in terms of, you know, which kind of emu feathers you want to have on the headrests and all that kind of stuff. It, it was quite an experience to drive, but it delivers exactly what you would expect it to deliver. My question is toe rating. Hey, good point. <laughs> like, what did you say they called it? Flying on the fly, ground flying or something? Flight on land. Right on land. Does that mean the food's crap and your luggage goes missing? <laughs> That's right. And if you get the centre seat, that is the short story. But, <laughs> but um, a fat guy either side of you. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually there's actually a piece of concrete roadway coming off, travelling north off the Sydney Harbour Bridge. That is a great test of suspension because it is so terrible. It's just almost like cobblestones. It's so badly um, you know misaligned and angled and what have you. And a car that I've gone across that where it felt smooth was a Bentley Mulzahn. I had the opportunity to drive that once overnight and it was this same thing. Unbelievable. I'm looking at this piece of rubbish road and it, I'm not feeling it. This car was like that even a little bit better. It was 
impossible. 21s. Impossible. And on 21s. And big fat Pirellis on them as well. Has it got the uh, the cameras that face forward that read the road, and then yes. tell us? So yes. it's, it's actually preemptive active suspension. Truly, True of that suspension. Yeah. yeah, it is. That's probably a really active. interesting technology. Um, and what I like about what you what you're telling me is that uh, this is a car that um, it's trading on its heritage, but it's brought the right bits of that heritage. Oh into the 21st century, you know, yeah. whereas I, I don't necessarily agree with a, with a Land Rover Defender with, with plush trim. Um, I do get a Rolls Royce that uh, runs on orphans' tears and destroys, <laughs> exactly. you know, I, I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, what could yeah. be better? <laughs> In the back, you've got everything you'd expect. Fold down the door. Oh, there's a couple of little champagne flutes there and uh, all that. All that is there. In abundance, and not a fold-down desk, wood trimmed, you know, all of that stuff. It's uh, it's quite. Is there quite a spot a, for your flag a... to go? Ah, <sighs> no, I doubt it. Um, I doubt. It's it. an optional extra yeah. for sure. Yeah, a goon receptacle. Um, yeah, could be. Yeah, a, a, flag a, a goon rack. If you, yeah. if you, if you yeah. a flag you or a flagon, you're asking about. Flagon. All oh, right. Yeah, flag goon. flag. Goon. <laughs> if you want that, if you want that, Dave, it can be done in, uh, you know, kangaroo hide. If you'd like True. that. Well, actually, funny you should talk about that. I went to a Bentley. <laughs> I went to a Bentley launch uh, some years ago, and they were telling us about their uh, individualization program, and um, they wouldn't say no. They wouldn't agree to do it, but they wouldn't say no when I asked that if you had a dead pet, could you have that <laughs> turned into a steering wheel cover? Or or, 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 a, or an armrest trim. Yeah. They didn't. They do. They wouldn't say no. Yeah. So I, I hold out hope. It gets into very delicate territory there because when you do talk about the people that talk about that, you know, that do the personalisation, some of the requests they they use words to the effect of, "Oh, we, we try to encourage them in a different direction and and alter and offer different, different options, such that the car you know that they really want to build doesn't get built." You know, you've got it wrong when they want the, all the money up front. Because they know that if you, <laughs> you don't take it away, they're going to be stuck with it. They're also yeah. Yeah. well aware we, of the fact that once you've bought it, you're going to be buried in it because you'll never sell never sell it. Purple yeah, we don't want that. We don't want that sucker in stock. That's right. You're gonna you're gonna have to pay for this up front too, Drew. If you want uh, leopard print finish, make sure you wrap it post purchase rather than yeah making it and, paint so that's reversible. And look, bring the leopard in with you when you've got your deposit um, because we need that as well. <laughs> um, so. That's good. Thank you, guys. Um, what we'll move on to is a bit of feedback from last week. Um, last week, we were primarily looking at the emergence of Hyundai's N-Line Sonata. So the rise and rise of Hyundai N, be it in that more, more hardcore N uh, version or an N-Line. And we had plenty of feedback. And our old mate, Peter Panousis, uh, said that he was bloody impressed, not just impressed, bloody impressed uh, with what Hyundai's been doing lately. Uh, with the N and the N-line variants. Um, and he really gets the fact that N is more hardcore. He says that's not for him. He doesn't turn the music up to 11. That's, that's not his go. He's more N-line, uh, good performance without the hard edges, more comfy, less raucous, less in your face. And our review, when it, when it arrives, could uh, propel the Sonata to the top of his shopping list. Now, for more recent uh, people who have joined us on the podcast, Peter's shopping list has been building for at least the last two years. He joined us... On a, on a road test uh, to celebrate our 100th episode of the podcast, and he was compiling his list then. That was a year or so ago. Uh, so Peter's list, one day he'll buy a car, but he'll keep us informed in the, um, in the interim. 
Now, General Damage, and good to have you with us, sir, uh, General Damage, says, you know, the story had said coming for Stinger, and he says, but it's front-wheel drive. Uh, come on, man, um, a phrase that he borrowed from Joe Biden. And that is, that is a sticking point. I mean, the Stinger has got to have an advantage for traditional performance enthusiasts with its front-engine rear-drive setup, and a Sonata is, is going to struggle trying to win those over, don't you think, guys? Well, again, because we've now embraced the hot hatch concept, uh, people are, are of the opinion or are forming the opinion that front-wheel drive can be really good. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, if you drive, you drive a, a really functional, well-sorted front-wheel drive car, there's no, there's no real trade-off. Um, yep. So, you know, maybe that's, uh, I should know, but maybe that's old thinking. Very good. Now, um, what, what we can say further to that front-wheel drive thought Jim Danick says, can't wait for your test drive report on the Sonata N-Line as not sure how well it will corner without, with all that power and no ELSD. So uh, that's a fair point, that um, it's, it's getting up there in terms of power and to put that effectively onto the ground through the front uh, treads, you probably do need some kind of limited slip diff. So it will be interesting to drive for sure, Jim. And Bertie, our old mate Bertie, proud Victorian, uh, says the arse end of Sonatas have always been very ordinary. This end keeps that trend alive. So his view is that it's not winning on the design stakes and he is supported in no small measure by de Kook, who says he dislikes the stinger for its non-existent practicality. There you go. His words, not mine. But says Sonatas... I disagree. Okay, go, Mel. Go, go ahead. I lived with one for three months and, and carried a family of fours, everything in that car. And it's, right. it's Was it your family? Was really it your family or someone else's family? Occasionally I borrowed one, but generally my family. You borrowed uh, a family? You have the, the reality is there's anyway. not that much difference in cargo, practical cargo space to a sportage. Okay. And the, the back seat is relatively narrow for a big car. And the the you know the access height is quite low, but for kids, it's and if given I'm short and loading them in, it's fine. It's really quite practical. Okay, that's good. That's good feedback. Well, anyway, De Cook goes on to say um, that Sonata doesn't even compare to the great design of the Stinger. Um, it yeah. looks like Hyundai's moved from boring design to over design. Uh, just yeah. too much going on, and not in a good way for his taste. And I think a lot of people agree with him. It is quite a busy uh, look and look for that car. Yeah, and look, the sedans of this size are still very popular in the US, but in Australia, they're swimming against the tide yeah. uh, in that, you know, cars like the Sonata and, you know, even the Camry and the Mazda 6 sell to a particular age group. And yeah. uh, it's quite risky to go controversial with the styling for yeah. people of that age group. Yep, yep. Uh, so we'll see how they go. It's, it's interesting tell. to see things changing and, you know, adding a performance model to the lineup is interesting. Well, I think actually uh, the only uh, Sonata we're going to get is this end line, um, unless I'm... Uh, right, okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that's right. But anyway, uh, yeah. Um, Owen Morby uh, says it would be nice if it had a manual gearbox. And yes, it would. And it puts me in mind of Car and Driver's long-running campaign called Save the Manuals, um, which has been going for some time. And I'm a, a full-on supporter. But uh, manual gearboxes are becoming increasingly uh, problematic in the new car market. People, people just seemingly don't want them or can't drive them, you know. Um, oh, well, getting, getting the fuel economy number two yes. is, is yep. not as easy. So, precisely, you know, precisely. There you go, there you go, hey, uh, average just because we offer a manual. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm clearly quite out of the loop with the Sonata issue, but um, has anyone uh, investigated whether the uh, New South Wales police are going to be lining up for the Sonata end line? Because they've certainly bought a lot of the current one. Mal, you couldn't have come up with a better segue if, you, if you'd come in riding on one. Um, that, that is perfect because our last uh, comment is from TGV. Uh-huh. TGV, the very fast train, um, says, among other things, New South Wales police will love, so that's New South Wales in Australia, uh, will love the Sonata N-Line. Lots of SSs and XR6 turbos about to be decommissioned. Um, so he is on the same thought line as you there, Mel. And, and lots of current well two-litre turbo Sonatas. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they've already got the deal going with Hyundai. Maybe it's a, it's a short step uh, to take up this N-Line for some highway patrol type work. All right. Well, speaking of people who should be pulled over by the Highway Patrol, it is time for Musk Watch. Cool. And uh, this week we'll kick it off. Sure enough, Elon has been back on uh, the Twitters and he said, as a teaser, Tesla holiday software release is... Two fire emoji emoji. So fire. It's going to be whatever the software update is going to be fire. And Adam Pope, various people were coming back with what they might like to see as this software update. Alarmingly, quite a lot of people wanted full self-driving. Uh, but anyway, hopefully um, just a few get that in beta mode. Uh, Alan Pope, Adam Pope wanted an AC mod that smells like gravy. I thought that was a very interesting one. And Chakra Rajasthani took all that on board and said, I'll comment later. I'm in the hospital. My cousin brother swallowed a 16 gigabyte memory card and he's singing all the songs on it. We just pray he doesn't reach the video folder. <laughs> so that's the kind of commentary that Elon is getting on his Twitter post these days. And in a similar vein, and bear in mind, this man is going to turn 50 in 2021. He came up with a tweet that said, chicken or egg, case closed. And his closing argument was a graphic that actually had uh, various animals, egg-laying animals that had evolved and lived well before for the chicken. So he's saying the egg definitely came before the chicken, case closed. But uh, Mark, one of the commenters, said, except for this. And he quoted a story where a Sri Lankan hen has given birth to a chick without an egg um, in a new twist on the age-old question of whether the chicken or egg came first. Instead of passing out of the hen's body and being incubated outside, the egg was incubated in the hen for 21 days and then hatched inside. So there you go. No egg at all. Um, And just to close off with the Tesla share price, it has bumped up appreciably $486.64 a share. It was 413 last week. It hit a high of $495 yesterday. And um, a publication called Opto Trading Intelligence uh, is saying Tesla's share price continues to shock investors. And there are a couple of things behind that. It's finally cracked it for a spot on the S&P 500. So that brings with it its own kind of imprimatur and, and substantiates the stock um, as a valid choice in the eyes of investors. And Morgan Stanley has gone all in on its recommendation on Tesla shares. And Opto called out that we are now at 427.7% increase year on year 
on the share price. And good old Elon is not far from Bill Gates for the second richest person on the planet. He's beyond Zuckerberg and gunning for, for Bill Gates. So God knows where you'll go from here. But that is the story. And with that, I... Is there just... any connection between... Uh... Yes, Dave. So, so I was just wondering if there's any connection between, uh, you know, Tesla fortunes with, with SpaceX. You know, they, they, they finally got the, the, the thing to the, to the space station without turning the, the uh, astronauts into cosmic coleslaw. You know, there's now a government <laughs> contract going. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. it's going to help. Everyone knows it's the, it's the same lunatic, don't they? It's all coming up roses for him. I mean, yeah. he, he, was quite, um, he was quite transparent in saying that it was only... Uh, I want to say a couple of years ago, where he was on the brink of financial collapse with Tesla. And I'm sure that would have punched a big hole in his ambitions with SpaceX. So like any, uh, you know, courageous entrepreneur, he's really pushed, pushed things uh, and walked a very fine line financially. And it seems to be paying off for him now. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I think with that, we have reached the finish line. And I want to say thanks, Mel. Thank you, James. And, and thank Dave. you, Dave. My pleasure. And, and thanks to our humbly confident production guru, digital wizard and innovation rock star, Mr. Pritchard, for his sleight of hand in bringing this show together. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, people reckon I'm too patronising. That means I treat them like they're really stupid. Uh, bike shorts with the label warning may contain nuts <laughs> and Godzilla shoes. Uh, let us know your thoughts. You can find Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. Remember, you can also watch us on YouTube. And if you're already a subscriber, uh, make sure, if you're already a viewer, make sure you subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest reviews. Please do that. But before we go, did you hear that, sadly, Willie Nelson was hit by a car this week? Um, he's okay. He was playing on the road again. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Mal. No. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <very> much. <laughs>